We all want to do work that we love. And as leaders, entrepreneurs, and employees, wouldn't it be great to create workplaces where work feels like play? Where people are tuned in to the changes going on in the world around them. Where they're constantly learning, spotting new opportunities, and taking action to go after them. I'm Amanda Satilli, and this is the Fearless Growth Podcast, where my guests and I will explore the mindsets and choices that lead you and your organization to outstanding performance. My guest today is Mitali Chopra. Mitali and I met through Marshall Goldsmith's 100 Coaches program, and I've so enjoyed getting to know her. She was named UK Coach of the Year for Best Client Results. She and I will talk about her business and also about the karma equation for world abundance and why giving is such an important part of living. She'll also talk about the nonprofit that she founded to help kids learn entrepreneurship by playing games. Welcome, Matali. Thank you, Amanda. Lovely to be on your boat. Matali, you've told me this before, but can you remind me when you moved to the UK from India? Oh, that was in 2015. So yeah, six years ago. My podcast is about fearless growth and how we can grow as individuals and grow our organizations. And one of my kind of core concepts, I guess, is that people really need to be connected with their work. They need to be doing something that they really do well, that challenges them, that makes them feel a strong sense of purpose and where they're appreciated. And one of the things I think can help people learn what that is, is to go back to their childhood. So I wanted to ask you, what did you really love doing when you were 11 years old? (laughs) That's a great question. Oh, well, I have to go really back in the past 11 years old. I think I loved making friends. Um, I loved playing racket sports. Yeah, I just loved being with my friends and family. Very good. And now you have a son that's a professional squash player? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, he is. He's actually a, a professional squash player in his category and uh, plays for the English squad. Yeah. That's amazing. That's You must be so proud of him. I am. Thank you. So another question, just to explore your interests. What do you wish you could explore more if you if time were no issue and you could just explore and something that you haven't had time for in the past, what would it be? I think I would explore more of my creative side. I think that's one thing which somehow, and I don't want to sound as if it's an excuse, but maybe a lack of time or or maybe lack of focus. I haven't explored that. I would love to try a couple of things which I've been thinking of doing for a long time. Things like learning magic. I'm very fascinated <gasps> by illusion and I would love to, I did a couple of classes to be honest, but I think I want to pursue it further. Love Good. how magic and tricks and illusion works. I would love to learn illusion photography. That's on the list. I would love to do some creative work like with hands. We just, uh, you know, like I have this dream of bringing fabrics of the world and maybe upholstering it, make an ottoman out of it. Something which can be creatively done. Just just want to do that. Yeah. That's such a great answer. I would like to introduce you to my friend someday, Mark Levy, who is a magician and also a branding specialist because uh, you would enjoy talking with him. I would love that. Thank you, Amanda. (laughs) So this podcast is about fearless growth and you strike me as a person who has never been afraid to take risks. Can you think of a story of a time when you were afraid to try something or afraid to head a new direction 
and you overcame that fear? And, and if so, how did you do it? So I love change. You know, I feed on it and um, something that um, brings a lot of uh, thrill and excitement in life. On professional side, you know, like my mantra has been what's next. So it just keeps driving me and I feel life is too short and there's so much to experience. So before we leave this planet, uh, so I don't feel fear at workplace. I do have my wobble times, you know, and I do get a bit nervous or wobbly about things, but not deep fears in professional. I'm very ready to experiment. Mm -hmm. uh, but on personal life, I would say I did have an episode where I was more, that was the most fearful time of my life. And I lived with that fear for 13 months, which was mm. really exhausting. So when we talk of fear, I can only go back and relate to that. And and um, that was when my son was born, Amanda. He he had an issue with his leg. And I wouldn't like, you know, there, there was an issue because of which there was acute pain in his leg. And the doctors oh. had to see. And every time he used to touch his leg, he used to cry, like shriek, like a little baby. And he was a newborn. So the doctors said that while they gave us uh, all clearance, but they said that you, you need to wait and watch till the time he starts walking because we have to constantly monitor this. And with that question mark uh, for a new mother, it, it was too much to live with. So every from the day he was born and most of, uh, you know, like the uh, the kids his age started walking around 10 months, 11 months, 12 months, most of them. And he was still not working. So it was only he started walking at 30 after his first birthday, third and 13 months. And that fear was really, really difficult as well as exhausting because um, I, I was helpless. I think that is what the most important thing, uh, because I couldn't do anything. I just had to wait and see what happens. Um, but I, two things that kept me going was one was this um, relentless faith, like this will be fine. You know, there looks like we'll be we'll be out of it soon. And the second one was just visualizing that he will be running around and he will be doing things which, you know, like like a normal kid. And I used to visualize a lot. And now here we are after 16 years, he's a squash player. <laughs> so every time, and which is the most, uh, you know, the very high fitness game. And when I see him on court, even now, I, I, my mind just goes back into that fear zone where when I was really praying, hoping and expecting that he could just walk and live a normal life. So yeah. That, that's something I would really sh share when we talk of fear. That's such a fantastic example because I'm like you. I typically am not afraid in a professional setting at all. But if I'm ever afraid of something, it's often to do with someone else. And the biggest someone else would be my kids. You worry more about them than about any anything else. Um, so that thank you for sharing that story. And I'm so proud that now he's a professional athlete. That's just such a great story. And I love your example about visualization because I think that helps you, but it also helps that thing come true. So that's good. Can you think of an experience, a conversation, or a transition in life that was particularly mind-opening for you? The biggest transition was uh, because I'm born and brought up, I was born and brought up in India. And uh, uh, we maybe you know in 2014 something happened because of which we thought okay we need to figure out what it is and when we figured out it was nothing but midlife crisis <laughs> mm -hmm. and uh, the hyper positive person that I am I wanted to convert that crisis into opportunity and we thought okay what let's just reconstruct our bucket list and see what do we want to do now in life and we made a decision to try 
going and living somewhere else, experience different culture, uh, both work-wise as well as, you know, living-wise and, and see what happens. Like, you know, while it was a fun thing there, but I think that was very mind-opening and also uh, you just get a different kind of exposure. So when we moved from India to London, uh, that was definitely a transition, a big one. Uh, London is a fantastic city because it is just not UK. It is a melting pot of so many cultures and a very, very diverse set of people. So between three of like, you know, my family, between three of us, my son, my husband and me, we have friends, like friends we can go talk to and not just acquaintances from 56 countries. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, that's I mean, I don't think so you can get that kind of exposure anywhere in the world. So, it, you know, right from countries in Africa to, um, I mean, of course, America, South America, North America, like every place, South Asian. So it is it is such a diverse place. And um, just by experiencing that diverse culture, there's so many things you learn and experience. And uh, one of my job when we moved here was to lead the UK and EMEA operations for GoDaddy. And I had a team of 90 people in Belfast and we we were serving 17 uh, markets and 15 languages. So uh, my team was very diverse as well. So it, I, I think that's, that is very powerful. I, I mean, I never thought that that can be so powerful. I never imagined the power of just being with diverse set of people, just being there. That's so wonderful. I was going to ask you later in the conversation what some of your metrics are, um, because one of the metrics that I've used the last few years is that I want to kiteboard 76 days a year. I found that having a really specific number has been helpful to me to just quantify how I want my life to be. And, I, and I've hit that target. So that's good. And it's so great that you said, I know people from 50, actual friends from 56 countries. That's just awesome. Yeah. Between three of us, not just mine. <laughs> yeah. My, like, you know, including my son. But it's so great that you counted, you know, because it makes you really value that more than if you just said, oh, I know a lot of people from a lot of places, which <laughs> is vague. So you meet these people through work, through neighborhood through school, all sorts of places? Yeah. So, you know, like my son, he his friends are from 22 countries. Actually, it was one of the fun exercises. We were just talking about our experience after a year when we came to London and just three of us. And so his school is very diverse. His friends are from uh, 22 countries. I had my team, which was so diverse. So we were counting that. And then my uh, husband, he works for HSBC and he has teams right from Mexico to Hong Kong. So he has a very diverse team as well. So yeah, when we counted, it came to 56, which was very interesting for us. And you know me, Amanda, with the engineering background, uh, you and me, I mean, we, we're always with numbers, right? To make it factual. <laughs> right. I like numbers. <laughs> That's great. I know when we lived in Malaysia that, um, you know, there were people living there from all over the world as well. And that was one of the things that I found most fascinating about it is you could just have a dinner party with people from so many different places and have such fascinating conversations. When we moved back to the States, I was like, oh no, what? <laughs> well, you know, and luckily we left Atlanta, moved to Malaysia, came back to Atlanta. And, and during that time that we were gone in the mid 90s, Atlanta became much more diverse. So that was that was helpful. Very true. Marcus Buckingham, the creator of the Strength Finders tool, 
defines a strength as an activity that makes you feel strong. What's one of your strengths that you'd like to use more in the future? I think my just my emotional question. So the EQ is something I would always want to always use more of it. Um, the sensitivity with people um, and just just sensing how things are and then uh, taking a next step basis. That is something I, I find it very useful. I find it very deeper. And yes, I'm a fact-based person, but when coupled with um, the emotion, it just makes it very well-rounded. So you've worked for a really diverse set of companies. You've worked for PwC, for Microsoft, for GE, for GoDaddy. These are four very different companies with very different cultures. What did you find most powerful about each of these cultures? And what did you feel about their cultures held the companies back? Actually, when I look back, they all indeed are very diverse companies. Um, PwC is, again, you know, cutting edge uh, consulting organizations with bright talent. So always have to be leading the way. GE, very strong in people and process excellence. Definitely. It has been a talent factory and has exported talent to all industries. I, I mean, even now in my network, in different industry, I meet people from GE. Microsoft, uh, again, you know, that has been my favorite stint in my corporate life. And um, that's all about technology to make world a better place. And, and everyone there lives and breathes that mission. Um, mm-hmm. GoDaddy, again, it's forefront of internet revolution. It's playing a very important role in getting small businesses have a web presence, which is the way to go. And uh, and their customer centricity is something which, which is great. Uh, on the side that we, I think, you know, companies back for GE, I would say they need, they definitely need a reboot. Now I'm talking of my experience then. So it's been, mm-hmm. it's been a while. Um, however, just looking things from outside as well. I think that GE needs a reboot. Yeah. They've struggled. Yeah. I, I, they were doing so well. And now they, it also because of the industry they are in, but it just needs strong leadership and then a reboot of the company. It mm-hmm. has very strong mm-hmm. roots. So I think it, it should bounce back right microsoft i think the machinery has become complex uh, something that they can go back to is the agility which sometimes get lost because of the of the nature and and you know the the chip uh, just the, the machine getting bigger so i think if they can bring back the entrepreneurial spirit which was very very strong in early 2000 and again build on it that will be great but they're killing it. They are smashing it on the technology side. And I love seeing it uh, from outside as well. So, yeah. Right. Uh, GoDaddy, I think, up, up besides the uh, customer focus, if uh, again, talking from the early days when I joined them, internationalization was definitely required. They, they just had to embrace. It was happening, but it was more American company, which had almost very little knowledge of how world uh, runs. So, but I think they've come a long way. And I think innovation and in products would be something that they should, uh, again, you know, focus on. I've, I've used GoDaddy and I've been very pleased with their customer experience. They've I kind of thought of it as the biggest web host company, or at least the one I hear about the most. And so I expected them to be impersonal, but they've actually been very helpful to me. I'm so glad you had a great experience. I was running the <laughs> care center in India and EMEA. So yeah, I mean, that's something which is, which is, uh, very deep in their culture, customer centricity and keeping customer in forefront and especially the whole customer support organization, which is there. Mm-hmm. So that brings me to my next question. You've held leadership roles in the UK, in India, even in the Middle East and uh, 
I just was wondering, the work cultures must be pretty different in each country. How did these cultures affect your ability to be effective? Hmm. So one, just the just acceptability of it. So so I love diverse cultures and people, as you can make out of over. <laughs> like I, I'm a traveler and explorer as a person. So I love that. So uh, because I love that, I look forward to it. So I'm not kind of shying away from it. I, I see it more as an opportunity to learn. But some things which are very universal across people, and that's my experience working with a diverse set of people, uh, four things I would say. One, respect. Generally, human-to-human connect and treating each other with respect is something that's common across uh, cultures. There are nuances of cultures, which is which is interesting, but uh, generally mm-hmm. it's respect. The second is recognition. People love to be recognized, any language, any culture. And recognition, I don't mean incentives and bonuses and parties. Simple thing like, you know, when something went well or, you know, we got a good customer appreciation, I would just walk out of my cabin, come out on the floor and you just go to the person who did well and just give a pat on the back and and talk to them. I totally agree. Totally. I tell so many people that I coach that just make a note to yourself that on a certain day of the week, Thursday or whatever, that you figure out something that somebody did well that week, even if it was tiny, but was in the right direction and just stop by their area or now in the virtual world, give them a call and say, hey, wow, you made progress. That's really neat. Do you want to tell me any more about how, you know, what your next goal is or what your next struggle is? Because I'm so pleased with with what you did this week. Simple stuff is more powerful than the president's club or, you know, the formal things, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I've got direct feedback from from people who felt that was their best moment at, at you know, during the during their stay with the company. And I couldn't even comprehend because uh, that was just a gesture. And uh, even when they win a lot of prizes and, you know, like President Club and all, but they feel that those moments is something that they really, really value. So recognitions and that to spot recognition, like you said, catch them doing the right things and then appreciate. Simple. Um, but yeah, has to be practiced. The third thing I would say is care. Genuine, honest care that you really will be there for them and catch their back. And that has no single way of doing it, but it's it's how you treat the team and get that done. And they're not fearful of making mistakes, but still uh, always there to uh, give their best. So, so yeah, so that's, and the fourth thing I would say is just coaching because coaching in the sense, uh, managing is one thing, but when you're coaching your team and team want to be their best version, they all are striving for it. And when you become a facilitator as their managers or as their supervisors, they really appreciate that. In any languages, in any culture, everyone is striving to be better. They come with that intention, the environment or um, the systems might make it difficult. And then there might be some kind of, um, uh, you know, difficulty making that happen. But they do really want to be better than what they are. So coaching is the fourth. So respect, recognition, care and coaching is something that is universal. I agree that people want to do well. They want to learn. They want to perform well. And unless you train that out of them somehow (laughs) by making it very difficult and not appreciating it, they're going to do well. So just give them, just empower them to be who they are and to be good at what they do. And you'll be fine because where I, I like to start with is it's never the employee's fault when something goes wrong. 
look first at how did the process mess up? How did you not reinforce them? Things like that. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. I mean, assuming that you had the right fit for the for the role. So assuming that that's the right fit, it's the right person, then absolutely that's... Right. And that's tough sometimes. So it sounds like you think that between the different places that you've lived and worked, the th- same basic four things, respect, recognition, care, and coaching are universal and that they work in any culture. And so you didn't have much of a hard time transitioning between different cultures. I had a language challenge because sometimes that becomes difficult. But but, um, other than that, uh, I did not, no, I did not feel very challenged working because I was always looking forward. So I used to teach them a bit of Hindi and they would teach me a bit of their languages that time. And I think (laughs) that's also one of the thing which, you know, the creative side that I was talking about, I I should get back to some more languages. I think that language is a skill that I do not have. (laughs) It's one one area, you know, I, I was raised in a family of engineers at like you probably were, or at least I know you're an engineer. And that was so highly valued. The science and math was so highly valued that language wasn't a what just wasn't a priority for my family. And I, I just, I feel like it's a huge gap in my capability set. <laughs> I so agree with you, Amanda. And, and trust <laughs> me, the way you were, in, uh, when we were having the Connect meeting, I have the exact same replica of the family. So you just like, you know, raised in the family of engineers. So the only choice was to become an engineer, but yeah. Right. And so many things that you talk about when you're growing up. I mean, you know, my my way of interacting with my dad was to like, look in his box of just odd ends, like wheels and sticks and stuff and try to make something. Um, That was just the way we operated as a family, I guess. The other thing that I've noticed about you, Matalia, is that you set really high goals for yourself and you've achieved a lot. You've excelled at everything that you've tried from what I can see. Is this something that everyone should do or are there any downsides to that? Well, Amanda, I think everyone should do what they really feel like doing mm-hmm. and uh, try not to get entangled with what is supposed to be done. Try at least. I know it's easier mm-hmm. said than done because I wish I could have tried harder as well. Um, I don't have any regrets of su- setting high goals for myself. I like the thrill I get in aiming for something and achieving it. So, But what can be dangerous is this never-ending race and constant comparison with peer group. That's like a delicate balance. If That can be damaging as well sometimes for people uh, without even knowing that there's a danger for it. Uh, it takes a lot of courage and focused and focus to stay away from the race and yet keep excelling. Like there's a difference. Yeah. There's races in so many different arenas of our lives too. Like is your house nice? Does yeah. your kid do well? Is your job uh, important? Is your car? I mean, you know, there's just so many places where you feel like you have to keep up with other people and it's it's not really useful. I think that having your own values, things that really matter to you and sticking to those, you know, I often give the example, I don't keep my house very neat. <laughs> I guess I'm sort of ashamed of that in a way. But on the other hand, I do so many things that other people don't seem to have time for. And so 
um, picking, you know, being clear about your own values and pursuing what's important to you, as you as you stated, is so important. Yeah, and, and I feel it's there's nothing wrong in dreaming for a bigger house. That's fine, but mm-hmm. wanting a bigger house because my friend has a house when I want to get a bigger house in there, that is the dangerous mm-hmm. zone. But mm-hmm. just it's important to keep excelling. Otherwise, if you're not growing, you know, in a way, I always say, if you're not growing, we are dying. It might be a slow death. We might not realize, but that's, so growth is important and that can be in any area. But this constant, um, in the rats race, as we call, and when I realize that it is a rats race and the rats are winning, <laughs> then mm-hmm. you realize, okay. So I, I, few years ago, I saw this quote, which said, life is a journey and not a competition. Mm-hmm. I don't know, it may be the time, but I really love that. Like it is a journey. So be uh, be on your own solitary journey. Keep excelling, being a better version. Keep going, keep putting your own goals. That's nothing wrong, but just mm-hmm. just enjoy it instead of falling into the trap of this constant comparison with others. So I think that's one of the things that we do that's very valuable as coaches is getting clear with the people that we're coaching. What do they want to do? What do they want to achieve? What do they not care about? And just having them come to grips with what they want and what they don't care so much about because you generally can't do everything. (laughs) So I'm fascinated by this nonprofit that I think you have founded to help kids learn by playing games. And maybe I've got part of that wrong, but could you tell me a little bit more about that? How does it work? What are the games? What are they learning? And what are your aspirations for it? Yeah, that's an interesting area. So, you know, we started this with my son because he did his last year because, you know, he he has entrepreneurial bent of mind. And I said, just to help him with that, we came up with this idea. And it's also my passion because when I now coach senior leaders, business leaders, I, you know, when, when we actually in a coaching sessions and we are talking about things and um, their decision-making styles, their, their fear of things, all these things I sometimes actually lead back into their childhood, the way mm. they were raised, the way their relationship with money, their relationship with people, the way things were told to them. All of that environment has a major impact on their decision making of today. It's quite fascinating subject. I wish one day I can do some research on it and make that correlation. But I have a, I'm very strongly feel that that relation is is there, a very very positive connection. And so I feel that very early in childhood, if we can introduce entrepreneurial skill set and mindset to children, it would come really handy as a life or a you know life skill for them later on and they can uh, benefit from it so it's our very early humble uh, you know attempt to build something which is a animated course for with 20 courses with quizzes and certificates for in a very fun manner introduce that concept one of the condition my son put on the design of the business or you know this whole initiative was that we should not do another education program there's so much of teaching so so the thing is how do we introduce fun in it so that they enjoy but they don't uh, feel the pressure of that it's another topic or another subject so it, it's a fun thing there's a talking lizard called tu and tu mm-hmm. stands for t-e-i-y-u which is the entrepreneur in you mm-hmm. so you know it's so just the uh, names and that talking lizard is actually coaching 
in a way coaching but they don't know that they are being coached but in a fun way coaching four children 8 to i i think you know 8 to 10 year old and uh, he uh, that lizard takes them to a wonderland called tegoria where businesses are run by children and they are doing what they love to do and solving problems of the world and you know there's a store which has no plastic so because she's very environmental friendly there's a gym for kids so you know all those fun ideas and then he uh you know the lizard actually takes them through a how they can build their own business and they find they decide to build a healthy drink energy drink for one of their friends who was always very tired so it's a story narrative character led uh 20 episodes where they from start to saying is aren't businesses for kids kind of thing and uh, to learning the business and then doing the business and in the quizzes one of the question is is it okay to fail and the right answer is yes <laughs> very good yeah so we just want to kind of you know give that early introduction to things and we have some more ideas but we'll see how it goes that is so see that's creative when you said <laughs> you wanted to tap into your creative side my gosh that's super creative mm you're right. <laughs> I am doing something with it. I should not be so hard on myself. Yeah. Yeah, and you can even bring the magic in at some point, you know. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> that's awesome. So, I noticed in your bio something that I haven't seen in anyone else's bio, which is that you're a big believer in the karma equation and world abundance. So, first tell me a little bit about the karma equation. Explain that to me and does that come from your Indian heritage or is that something you discovered? Uh, as an adult yeah so it's simple it's like what you give is what you get so the equation is if you good do good things you'll get good things and uh, it comes from i think family and the heritage and the culture that i come from from um and uh, because even in our in our culture giving away is a very important part of living so it's not something oh this is good to do when we're doing it as a initiative it's the way of life and that's why for me it's very difficult to say um it, things like you know kindness giving away things helping community is way of life so it can't differentiate too much um things like i remember when we were very young and even as a as a culture in the family the first portion of the meal so my mother will cook the meal and the first portion of the meal like she will take it out to be given outside always every meal so whether to a an animal or to somebody you know like a helper or anyone so the first meal will go to someone outside the family i, I remember you know sometimes she would just go and put it near the tree in, outside in the garden and a squirrel will eat something or for birds or for you know a dog so so it will always it was again part of the culture so it is quite deep rooted in us so i think that's why it is always there even in in my business uh, when i onboard a client or sign a new client i sponsor a child's education in a school in india so it's it's always like okay i get something i give something and mm-hmm. and, it's, and it's very joyous it is that I, i get a thrill in signing a client so it's it's I, and i'm very happy that happiness is great and immediately when i call up the school and say let's i want to sponsor one more child i'm very happy there also but i have noticed the happiness of the latter is more sweeter and calmer there is something about that happiness while i'm happy both the sides that's so interesting so how prevalent would you say that belief is in indian society is that 
mostly your family or uh, only the rich people? Or is that like a universal belief throughout the society? Oh, it's actually quite prevalent in not so rich people. And you'll be amazed, like most of the, it's not only about whether haves and have nots. It's like I said, it's a way of life. And I think majority of people in India just culturally have that belief because, um, and I've seen have nots, like, you know, you know, it's a very, very diverse and high variation and a lot of inequality. But people who, who do not have money, they give away time. They help each other. Communities just help each other. They rely on each other a lot. And it is never called out as an initiative. So that's the difference. Mm-hmm. It is part of the way of living and they do help each other. So if they can't help it, I am doing it like more with the financial assistant to a student, uh, somebody who would not have financial support, they will just give their time and teach a student so that you know they can uh, they can take it forward from there. So now that you've lived in the UK for five or six years, or maybe more, do you think that that mentality exists in Western culture? Does it exist? Yes, it does exist. Can of course, it be, among some people, yeah, but but can it be more? And can it be? Um, can it improve? Definitely, yes, to a large degree. But I do see a lot of my friends here locally um, support a lot of charities and they, they work for that and they raise funds, especially in last one year during COVID time. I've seen that compassion and helping each other uh, gone much, much, much higher um, mm-hmm. here locally in UK as well. Yes. You're reminding me of a friend that a good friend that I have who's Indian uh, and he lives in the States. And whenever we go out to eat, he'll order more than he can eat. And then he'll ask for a to-go box. And as we're walking through town, he'll give it to a homeless person. So he's very similar to your mom, what your mom taught you. He probably learned that from his family as well. He does it every time. Do you feel like you've already addressed the second part of that sentence in your bio, the world abundance? Or is there something more you can say about the world abundance part of it? Yeah, no, I I think I've covered that, Amanda, because it's part of it. You give more and not have a scarcity. See, because abundance is all about, it's not about the quantity of things that you have. Like when I have a million, then I will start this. Mm -hmm. It's not about that. It's um, The thing is like, whatever I have, I'm here to share. And when you do that, you'll be amazed. Like maybe I'm being a bit selfish, but my belief is has been validated so many times. The more I give, the more I get. So maybe it has now become a cycle. I give more because I know I'll get more. And it comes back in multiples uh, in any way, in any form and shape. So somewhere, I think my belief has got cemented that this is true somehow. I, I don't know what and how, but... Uh, I believe in it. So, but again, you know, there, there are so many people I've seen, rich people with a scarcity mentality say that, oh, this is, I can't. They can, but they wouldn't. So, so I think it's just a belief system. What do you hope the future holds that if everyone could just have that worldview or that in their mind, we might be able to move toward it? That's a really a <laughs> blue sky thinking kind of a question. I think I just want world to be a better place, more happier people. Uh, but I do believe that, you know, hardships and happiness, like there is no concept of only happiness. There is nothing called only happiness till the time we do not have the sadness. So all yeah. of this comes in. That's that's what life is all about. I hope people are more aware of it and find their inner peace. That's all I think. Like Whatever is there, it's fine. 
um, let's be more compassionate, more kind, and uh, yeah, live peacefully on this planet. We we have only one home. Yes, right. Well, thank you so much, Mitali, for joining me today. It's been a I knew that it would be a fascinating conversation, but it's been even more fascinating than my expectations. So I really appreciate you joining us. Thank you so much, Amanda. I loved talking to you and um, thank you for giving this opportunity. Thank you for listening to Fearless Growth. You can find out more about the show at satili.com slash podcast, and you can listen on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you like what you've heard, please take a moment to write a review and give us a star rating. Reviews matter so much in helping others find us. Thanks for your support. 